happens when a student has the desire, the motivation, and the grades to go to college, but they're on their own and they lack the resources to make their life-changing goal a reality? Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. The answer? They reach out to the Wiley Network. Founded by a woman who spent 30 years as a psychologist working with children, facing serious emotional and behavioral problems, the Wiley Network is her brainchild. It's a nonprofit devoted to helping students navigate college on their own by surrounding them with a supportive community and wraparound services that nurture them from matriculation to graduation. Wow. Her name is Judy Alperin King. She's a PhD. This is her story. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. It's so nice to meet you. Tell us how the Wiley Network works. And I'm going to give our listeners your website so they can start looking at it. It's called thewileynetwork.org. I'm going to take a step back for a second to paint a picture of some college students who are on every campus in the United States and probably the world. And unfortunately, they are invisible on campus, some of whom are the first in their family to go to college, all of whom are living below the poverty line. But what they don't have that their peers have is family privilege. So for them, they are moving in on their own. They likely decided to go to college on their own. They are navigating the ups and downs of their roommates and course selection and failing a test all on their own. So they have one of the highest percentage rates of dropping out, now called stopping out of college. And so that's where we come in. And most of the students that we work with are referred to us by their colleges. But as we have become better known, somebody may today know of a student and refers them to our website. And the students actually now apply through our website to us, and we interview them, and then we start working with them. Was there an aha moment in your career, maybe in that stage in your career, in your experience as a psychologist, where you knew the need was there, and this was perhaps your next chapter? I did work with a lot of children who were really disenfranchised and didn't have an organic, natural safety net. And so they were really on their own, even at a very young age. I had been at the same organization for more than 30 years, and I thought, is there anything else I want to do? (laughs) That's a long time. That's a long time. And I thought, oh, I love working at colleges and thought I was going to be able to just walk into a college and they were going to be happy to have me. Turned out that wasn't quite true. And I was reading an article in the New York Times called out of foster care into college. And I thought, oh my gosh, do we have that in Boston? Who is working? Who's supporting? Who's knowing about the young people who really don't have that natural infrastructure to support them in college? So I was actually on a plane when I read the article. I wrote a five-page position paper on the plane. So there was an aha moment. That was the aha moment, yes. (laughs) The Wiley Network is specific to kids who don't have the resources within their family network to make things happen. As a psychologist, can you take us all into the mindset of an 18-year-old who has nobody to help them? We so often hear of students whose parents haven't gone to college who at four years old say to them, this is your ticket out. 
and you see all these people in our family, we are going to help you get there. For a would-be Wiley scholar, that doesn't happen. They're living in really complicated family situations. They're sometimes responsible for the care and safety of their siblings. They're responsible for finding their own place to live so that they can be ready to go to school in the morning. They have really come to this college decision on their own. For so many Wiley scholars, some of the many support programs that we have in the greater Boston area or in the country are not available to them because you need somebody to take you there. And I just want to caution for a moment that Wiley scholars, everybody has parents. And if their parents are alive, Wiley scholars mostly love their parents as much as anybody loves their parents in college. And their parents or parent loves them. Whoever was their guardian loves them. But they aren't able in this moment to provide the support that every student needs from roommate issues to choosing a major to how do you care for your younger siblings? How do you make that decision to leave those younger siblings Mm -hmm. behind and take advantage of a full scholarship at Northeastern University? Joan Wallace Benjamin, former head of the Home for Little Wanderers, CEO, once told me years ago, a child needs one person to run the marathon with them. Not someone who just jumps in and says, hey, I'll do the 50-yard dash with you. Do you agree with her? Is that true? I absolutely agree with her. I don't know that it has to be one person. Colby Swetberg from Silver Lining Mentoring says the same thing, that you need one person, not a paid professional, to run that marathon with you. I do think in lieu of that, Wiley can come in and be an entity. We have really authentic and genuine relationships with students. A student who's a third-year law school student, texted me out of the blue the other day and said, I'm wearing my Wiley sweatshirt and I'm thinking of me, and you treat students so different than anybody else. And what we've tried to do is, while every Wiley scholar has a coach who they meet with once a week on their campus, we try to make all of us part of that system, part of that community, part of that network that they can rely on no matter what's going on. So let's talk about the Wiley Network. What are the wraparound services that you provide to your scholars? We provide, in general, three services to Wiley scholars. They are highly individualized and highly flexible because, as anybody knows who has children, what works for one (laughs) does not work for all of them. One of our core values is that the scholar is the heart of our mission. And we do not make any decisions without thinking about that. So the first thing we do is we hire clinicians. For the audience out there, this is the perfect job for a burnt-out clinician. So call us if you're looking for work. (laughs) Thewileynetwork.org. What we do is we retrain them through the Fostering Success Coaching Institute to be coaches because therapy versus coaching is different. And we are there to help students problem solve from day one and really forever because we're not going to stop caring about each other. So the coaches go out and they meet with students on their campus. We have 78 scholars right now on 15 different campuses in the greater Boston area. And they just help them to problem solve, to anticipate consequences. The way colleges are set up, the system is not set up for somebody without family privilege. 
I have come to realize that no matter how hard colleges try, there is an assumption that there is somebody out there willing to run through fire for you to make sure you will get to the finish line. And I realized that when we were working with a young person who lost their vision. Now, if I had been that person's parent, I would have said, you're coming home, you're going to learn how to be blind, you will learn how to learn while being blind, and then you will return to school. But that's not what we do. We don't tell anybody what to do. Every Wiley Scholar is the expert in their own life. And when we laid that out as an option for the student, they weren't ready. They wanted to see if they could muddle through. They actually just left for the Center for the Blind in another state for nine months, and then they will be able to come back to college. But what I realized is there was no one to say, this is what you have to do. You've got so many success stories that you could share with us. Can you share one or two that you're particularly proud of? There have been 62 students that have graduated so far. And I would have to say we learn just as much from them as they do from us. I think one of the students that I really connected with was a student who was clearly so bright and said to me from the beginning, they asked me to work on group projects. I can't do that because I don't trust anybody to do the work, right? We all know part of that is true, but in life, you have to be able to work in a group. They were very bright and they were interviewed by some top, top companies in the country as a sophomore, did very well as a junior, then was interviewing for the senior positions. And somebody in one of the interviews said, who do you rely on? And she said, oh, a coach and my friends and a whole list of things. And the interviewer said, you don't rely on your parents? And she said she was so undone by that. She had no response. And we had practiced that response, but it was so deeply personal and intrusive and this assumption that she could rely on her parents. And she thought, She blew that, and she wasn't going to get any interviews. Anyway, fast forward, she's working for one of the top financial institutions in the country right now. You've spent the first 30 years of your career as a psychologist, and you were a clinician, an administrator, a program director, a development officer. So it sounds like you climbed the ladder from one spot to the next. Give us a glimpse, though, into the life of being a child psychologist. I had the great privilege of working for an organization where we worked with students not behind closed doors. And so we all learned from being together and seeing each other work and listening. And there are so many artificial boundaries in that. And I remember when I was 20 in my first role with this company, I was on a beach with a young person, I think it was eight, who was swearing, like swearing, swearing, swearing. I was so embarrassed. I said, if you swear one more time, you're going to have to sit in the van until it's time to go home. And the director of the program was standing behind me. And he said, guess what? He's going to swear within the next 30 seconds. And you're going to go sit in the van with him for the rest of the day. And there was this openness to our learning. So as somebody who wanted to learn all these different areas, there was somebody always listening and helping me to understand the consequences of my (laughs) actions and what I said. And I have to say it was the most remarkable way to learn all of these different areas so that when I started Wiley, I had had 
not only experience, but I had had a lot of input from people who were observing me. What did you learn from some of the children that you worked with through the course of your career? You really need to see people as people. Don't judge them by the worst day of their lives. Don't judge them by their behavior, which is not what they intend to be presenting. To see a child as a child, to talk to them honestly and openly. And I always say person first. So you're not saying failed adoption. You're saying a child who's been part of a failed adoption. You've got to see the child. You've got to see the college student and what their vision is and how do I be the assist. I think I knew that instinctively from the beginning that I wanted to be the assist and that I wasn't doing the work. They were doing the work. And I think that has really carried through to what we're able to do at Wiley today. Take us back to your own childhood and tell us where you come from and what was life like in your house? I came from the most amount of family privilege you could possibly want. And my grandparents lived next door. My aunts and uncles all lived in the same community. My parents were very present, I think, as I discussed with my father yesterday. A little bit of sexism in my youth continues a little bit today. There was some benign neglect where I was allowed to sort of make my mistakes and then figure my way out of those mistakes. And I think I learned a lot of lessons. I think the lessons I learned mainly was I had a grandfather who said, you have a house today, you might not have one tomorrow. Don't judge the person who doesn't have the house. And you think about how you can help them. And he often said to me, who did you help today? Not what did you learn in school, Who did you help? And I think that the word help sometimes implies less than of the other person. Yet I think if we can support people to see those obstacles and how to manage those obstacles, they can probably figure out a lot of that themselves. You know, you talked about family privilege early on, and you've mentioned it a few times. And when I hear that you also had your grandparents living next door and aunts and uncles on the same street, The gift of multi-generational families that is so rare was one of the greatest gifts of your life. I think it was, and I hear them in my head all the time. I hear my aunt say, when when I misbehaved, say, I am so disappointed in you. I still hear that when I'm about to make a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) When you were growing up, who was your role model? I think my father, and I don't think my mother gets enough credit But my father just tried to be there for people at every turn. And I think he in turn learned that from his father. Brothers, sisters? I have a brother, an older brother. He went into business, but he spends a lot of time working to do the right thing and build community. I really believe that is the core message of my family is that we live in community, sometimes in community with strangers, and it's really up to us to make sure that the people in our communities are safe, secure. And I understand that that's a position of privilege, but I think if we do that for each other, that's the key, is community. We all need somebody who believes in us. And as you've said, you were fortunate to be surrounded by a really intact and beautiful family. Someone who sees your talents early on and says, you're really good at that. Was there anybody who said that for you and kind of helped you on a path toward where you are today? 
yes, while my parents raised me, I say Hugh Lightman from Wadiko Children's Services raised me. And I think he saw beyond my 20-year-old really Sitting naive, in the van with the kid who was swearing? Exactly. Naive optimism. That's what he wrote in all my <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> I think he saw something in me beyond my self-centeredness. And I think he appreciated the fact that even when he told me to go do something really undesirable, that I smiled through it. I think he shaped me. And he passed away when he was 57. And I think the world really lost something in that moment. You have a BA and a master's in psychology, Hamilton College and Boston College, both of us alums from there. What was your college experience like? Here you are working with college kids now. What was yours like? I stumbled a lot. I played three sports my first year at Hamilton. I think that really helped. I think it gave me some structure. I was a computer science major when I started, and I left that for psychology halfway through my sophomore year. When I look back, I think about the relationships I made at college. I had the privilege to sit in that dining hall for hours and hours and hours and make all the connections that were going to last the rest of my life. Not everybody has that. If you don't have a dining plan when you go to college, you miss out, and it's really an unfair situation. On the whole, I would say I loved Hamilton College. My time at Boston College was short. I was working full-time, but I really appreciated my classmates and their desire to be able to work with people and really try to understand without judging where they were coming from. You have a PhD in psychology from Penn State. Tell us what the experience is like becoming a PhD, and was that a bucket list item for you? So it was the University of Pennsylvania. I'll give them the credit. I did love Penn State when I visited, but (laughs) chose the city. It was my expectation that I would get a clinical degree I would be qualified to work in a school system if I wanted to. But I also really value scientific research. And I think that there should be evidence backing what we do. And I think it's important to be mindful that a place like Wiley is actually a service nonprofit. And so we have to figure out how to balance both of those things. You have three grown daughters. How did motherhood change you? Well, if you asked my friends, they would say it changed me a lot. Prior to my first child being born, I wanted to run McLean Hospital. I think about 30 seconds after she was born, I thought that I could have a career that was a bit smaller. I enjoyed my time being a mother. I tried to balance that work-motherhood dichotomy I tried to blend them. I was very lucky in that I was able to decrease and increase my work hours depending on what was going on in my life. So I was lucky. I felt like I could really be there for them. And our house had very few rules, they will tell you, but they had to behave. They could be very messy, creative, loud, but I did require (laughs) a certain level of behavior. What kind of guidance did you give your girls as they were growing up regarding their self-esteem and their independence as young women? I was very supportive of them. I would be interested. I'll ask them tonight what (laughs) they think. In them being their own person and finding ways to appreciate their own skill sets and that that could contribute to the world. 
Let's say that there is a teenage girl who is listening to this program, and she's got great grades, and she very much wants to go to college, but she is all alone, and she has no one to help her. Maybe she's in foster care. What is your advice as she makes her way through high school? I would say, like Mr. Rogers, look for the helpers. There are people in your high school that will help you get to college. And when you get in, go to the Wiley Network website. And if you're not going to college in the greater Boston area and we can't help you, I will personally try to find somebody at the college that you are going to to help you and walk beside you during your college journey. Next three questions we ask everybody who sits where you are. Here's the first one. When an obstacle is in your path, Judy, how do you get around it? I just keep plowing ahead, (laughs) and I do it in an incredibly positive way. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Can you pass that along to our listeners today? Let's not try to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. To really work hard in your head not to judge people, to really listen to who they are, practice curiosity, and to sit with them and listen to them and ask them how you can help them. Don't assume that you know the answers. I have had the privilege of talking to almost a thousand women through the course of my career from every walk of life, and they've taught me so much in their stories, and I'm thankful to you for teaching me so much today. Right now in this chapter of your life, How do you see success and how do you define it, Judy? I see success for the Wiley Network in that the Wiley Network is no longer needed and that every student in every college in America has their needs met by the system of the college. And at that point, I think we'll just see better graduation rates. We'll see people who are walking out into the world more confident, more competent, and ready to embrace what's next. I want to say thank you so much, Judy Alperin-King, for being our guest today on The Story Behind Her Success. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And that's The Story Behind Her Success for this week. My thanks to Judy Alperin-King. She's the founder of The Wiley Network. And I'm so grateful to her for sharing her story with us today. Find out more about what she's up to at thewileynetwork.org. That's W-I-L-Y network.org. Thank you so much for listening. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please reach out and nominate her today? Just go to candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.